Welcome to a Pulp Event podcast, brought to you by the Pulpnet, your link to the online world of the pulp magazines for over 25 years. Online at thepulp.net. In this Pulp Event podcast, members of the podcast and comedy troupe Freshly Squeezed Pulp discuss how they are introducing Pulp's legacy of adventure to a younger generation. Appearing on the panel are Madeline McGonier, Victoria Wong, and Teddy Norrell. The panel was part of Herb Fest 2021, held in conjunction with Pulp Fest 2021. This event was recorded on Saturday, August 21, 2021, at Pulp Fest 2021 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mac begins. We're just very excited to be here. Um, I guess we're going to just jump in with some quick hellos as well, too. Uh, take some time to introduce ourselves, take some time to introduce our group. So um, of right here, we are a group called Freshly Squeezed Pulp. You know, of course, pun intended there. Uh, you'll probably refer, um, you'll probably hear us refer to ourselves as FSP for short as well, too. That's kind of the, the word on the, the street and <laughs> on campus is what we call it. Um, but yeah, so today we're going to be talking to you in this panel titled Introducing Pulp's Legacy of Adventure to a Younger Generation. Um, just to introduce myself, uh, my name is Matt Gagne. Um, that's short for McDonald. That's just my middle name there. And it's kind of a Scottish thing, I suppose. But I am the one of the co-founders and uh, a former president and co-president of FSP. I also was the voice of Jane Porter in the Adventures of Tarzan podcast here. Um, I'm the producer of the Adventures of Tarzan as well as the editor. And I'm going to throw this over here to Teddy. Oh. Oh. Thank you. Um, hi, I'm Teddy Norell. My uh, pronouns are she, they, um, and I am an actor uh, in FSP. Uh, I played the roles of uh, Albert Verper, uh, as well as David Inez, and a few other uh, miscellaneous characters uh, throughout the production of our Tarzan show. Hi, I'm Victoria Wang, and I'm really excited to see everyone here. I think it's really cool that you know, even at this convention, it feels like a bridging of generations of sorts, and I think that's really awesome. Um, so, like Mac said, we're all students at Duke. Mac and Teddy have since graduated. I am a junior this year, and I'm also the newest president. And I'm just so excited to be able to sort of grab Mac's torch, you know, and just lead FSP onwards and better and better up, I suppose. She's doing amazing um, things already. So, <laughs> high bar, though, so it's going to be big shoes to fill, but... I'm excited for anything that's coming up, and yeah, I suppose for the sake of Freshly Seas Pulp, that is my profile. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. And just even over here, too, we just have some information about how you can check us out online. So you can find our Adventures of Tarzan uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and we also have a little website right there with some more information about our different programs. But I guess let's dive into it a little bit more about what what is Freshly Squeezed Pulp. So we are a comedy podcasting troupe that produced podcasts in the style of old-time radio serials, Um, and we are originally from Duke University. Um, Many of our members originally started the group back in 2018, uh, and we started it originally with the Adventures of Tarzan podcast that we were doing. Um, we, many of our members have graduated, but we have many young members as well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, probably if we were to tie, tally everybody up, we probably would have had a total of 25 to 35 different voice actors across the years and members who were involved at some point. So, um, you know, we're really excited that we've been able to work with such a large group of, of diverse and wonderful people who have brought just such depth to the stories that we're being able to tell. Um, 
just kind of jumping into, I, I know Victoria's going to touch on this a little bit more later as well too, but we'd love to hear a little bit of a, a brief discussion of what the future for FSP might hold as well too going forward with you coming in as the new president. Yeah, for sure. So I myself am very, very interested in storytelling and narrative because I think that one of the most important aspects of social cohesion is empathy, right? Um, when you're older, you want younger people to understand you. When you're younger, you don't really think about who understands you or who you understand. All you care about is really the people around you. And I suppose if you understand people around you better, then that makes your life easier, right? You make friends easier and you get to know people better. But I think we're entering a social age, right? Where all the differences that we, when we were younger, either chose to ignore or didn't realize we were ignoring, all those differences are really coming to a head. And so, what I hope to do with Freshly Squeezed Pulp is to really introduce that element of you know, cross-cultural, cross-identity, cross-generational communication and understanding. And I just think that storytelling, especially in a genre that has been so impactful, not only amongst, like, you know, obviously older generations, not only amongst our own pop culture that is so heavily influenced by all the tropes and the stories and the writers that really came out of the pulp genre, I think that this is just such a fruitful ground to be able to build a lot of that empathy um, in order to bring our society into one that is much more unified mm -hmm. and much more, I suppose, kind is I think the word I'm looking for. Definitely, and, and I feel like sort of the FSP vibe of things is we, we kind of bring people in with fun comedy and fun adventure, but you know, kind of through that escapism, because we, you know, we all look for escapism. That's the, one of the best parts of Pulp is just kind of disappearing into a world uh, you know, that you're immersed in. And, but we always are kind of like, you know, once you're coming out of the story, once our story comes to a close, we still want you to walk away with something, with some new understanding or some new perspective right. as well. And you know, what I also love about Pulp that I really want to not only make it more accessible for everyone, right, but also sort of use it as a way for this sort of like cross, I, I suppose this like field for empathy development is because I think Pulp has always been like a genre where people who might feel like they're misfits like find comfort in, right? Like people who might be, I suppose like ridiculed for their like super niche passions and everything, like Pulp is an area where you're able to find a community, you're able to find stories that feature misfits like you. And I just even think that that genre, where it's one that's sprung out from you know, this desire to be included, I think, is also part of why I think for the future of Pulp, um, to really bring it so that you can use Pulp as, a, as an arena for just more diverse storytelling. Um, just on top of everything you said, I think is also, to me, like a, personally, I think it's a really important direction that Pulp should take. Definitely, definitely. And, and, you know, it's looking like going forward that you're going to do incredible things. And we, of course, cannot wait to see. I know, uh, bear with me, you're going to hear some more from these incredible people here um, today as well, too. But I'm going to go on a bit of a producer rant about our Adventures of Tarzan program. I feel like this, is, this has been our baby. And I'm just so excited to get to talk about it and show it to other people here. Um, but just to give you a little bit of background, so our The Adventures of Tarzan program, which our, our season one cover is right up there. Um, we're about two weeks away from our second season coming into action here as well, too. So uh, I'll give you, before I jump into that and before I jump into kind of how we're releasing things here, I'll give you just a little bit of background. So 
FSP started with The Adventures of Tarzan. That was its debut program. And it originally, the group and the project was formed because a, a group of uh, us writers who wrote on the program, that's me and that's my colleagues, uh, Brock Foreman and Daniel Legito. Um, we had met up at, at uh, dinner and there had recently been a big storm. So Daniel had you know, stayed in and, and watched the Disney Tarzan. And he's like, I know Disney always gets everything wrong. So like, what's the difference between the Disney Tarzan and the actual Tarzan? And, and Brock pulls up their phone and they're like, holy cow, there were 24 of these novels. And we just like start reading through the Wikipedia descriptions and are like, there's dinosaurs, there's the center of the earth. You know, like, we're like, how have we not heard about this stuff? Like other people our age would adore these stories and so we started thinking you know we were big fans of podcasts and, and Brock and I in particular were big fans of the thrilling adventure hour in particular which was a really well-known old-time radio kind of serialized style and we were like you know what if we were to do something similar uh, so we basically hauled ourselves up in a room one Friday afternoon to try writing a script for uh, Tarzan of the Apes for you know the first Tarzan novel there um, and we came out like eight hours later like this is the best thing that has ever happened to me I think I'm going crazy with how much I love this um, and you know we, we went to another friend and we were like we just need to check and see if we are actually going crazy or if this is actually like something funny and something that other people would like to listen to and so we took it to the coffee house at Duke which is kind of like the cool place to hang out you know it's where everybody does their homework and it's got kind of like pulpy paintings on the walls and everything and we started reading it to our friend who was the barista there and as we're reading it people are putting down their homework and they're gathering around just to listen to the story that we were telling and they were laughing and it was this moment of like holy cow like people in our generation don't know about this and we want to have an impact on bringing it back and so Essentially, we started production late 2018. We were probably done with the first three Tarzan novels and recording them and having you know, written uh, comedy scripts about them. By the end of 2018, started off with episode four and finished all the way up to Tarzan and the Lion Man. Um, and uh, during that time, you know, we, we took the summer off, uh, worked on a couple of projects, finished writing some scripts. But then there was a collection of us that were like, we hear the ERB team is going to be at this con called Pulp Fest, you know, that's being held in Mars, Pennsylvania. And, and you know, so we, we packed up our bags and we bought our $20 Greyhound bus tickets up, right? And, you know, we were like, we're going to come up for a day and we're going to meet everybody and we're going to see things. And, and I remember we came to the, the Edgar Rice Burroughs convention panel and I think I asked an obscure question to Christopher Paul Carey over here about canon and I just remember him looking at me like, what the heck, like, what, what's this group doing here? And, and, you know, I went up and I was, I was asking for his autograph and, and you know, he and, and, and Matt were there as well too and they're like, we would love to talk to you guys and Wynn was there as well too and we ended up going out to dinner with them and talking and eventually kind of the secret came out like, hey, we've been working on this really cool project. We want to tell you about it. We've got like 35 students on Duke's campus talking about Law of Opar's redemption arc, and you know, we think there's something there. And you know, <laughs> essentially, uh, you know, Christopher kind of leaned over the table and was like, Well, you know, we can talk about trademark if you're interested. And that started the long process of uh, getting that wonderful little R up there. Um, but it's, it's, been a, it's been wonderful and amazing, and we're officially licensed as of 2021 um, by Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated. While we had originally been producing those episodes and posting them online, we took them down so that we could provide the official authorized one with our proper audio statements and proper licensing. So we're amidst the middle of our 
re-release for the program. So we are uh, releasing every Wednesday um, around noon. And so every Wednesday around noon, you can tune in and you can hear a new one of the Tarzan novels get uh, discussed about and, and you know have its adaptation. Um, we are technically uh, not a fully canonical adaptation of each of the 24 Tarzan novels. You know, obviously we're trying to be kind of a, um, a, a well-intentioned parody, if you will. Um, but at the same time, we're telling a story that's much closer to the books than we've seen done with prior television shows, for example. So we're diving into a lot of the mythos and a lot of the, you know, interaction there as well, too. So, you know, we have a lot of respect for the original novels. We just wanted to find ways to incorporate sort of like tropes and storytelling ideas ideas that you know people our generation find really really appealing and I think one of the aspects too there is while it's not a canonical adaptation we kind of realized halfway through writing that we wanted it to be more than just you know directly telling the Tarzan story word for word in the canon that we wanted it to be almost a metafictional commentary on how Tarzan exists in society. So, you know, getting into what is the, you know, how was Tarzan interpreted through the years? What are different versions of Tarzan? How does Tarzan, you know, possibly see himself? And, you know, I know one of the metafictional aspects that uh, had a large influence was the original uh, Barton Verper books that were authorized and there was controversy of, I mean, they were not authorized, <laughs> excuse me, and that was the point, um, and that there was a lot of controversy that existed there. And, We'd been reading about that when we were writing the program, and we ended up making um, Verper uh, our lead villain because of that. And this, this notion of a villain, a Tarzan villain, kind of trying to co-opt the Tarzan narrative was something we were like, that's a very villainous thing to do. And yeah. So Teddy here is, is our, um, our Verper, and um, I think, Teddy, you want to take it away talking about? I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, so one thing I really enjoyed about playing Verper and just the whole characterization of him as the main villain uh, I'm just going to come out and say I have never read any of the Tarzan books, so I, I'm not sure if my interpretation of like his original characterization is correct, because all I read was that he stole some jewels and then got killed by a panther, and that was it. And, uh, but like the way I was playing him as the main villain is that he was just this very, like, he's a mastermind. He is just like very manipulative, and I started like examining him, like, in the context of a, of a Tarzan villain, I realize like he's the exact opposite of Tarzan. Like Tarzan is just like, at least the way how we characterized him, is just this very like he's good-hearted, but he doesn't like always like think through things. He just very much acts on his heart. And Verper is just like he's just pure evil, and he like very much like thinks through everything he does, like to the littlest like minute detail. And it's very much this whole sort of relationship between them of like, Verper's just like, I can control this guy. I can make him do what I want. And with all the obstacles that are introduced, I mean, it, it becomes harder, but he still like keeps on going with it. And I, when I realized that I'm like, dang, I love this character. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. it's, Verper, I, I love Verper. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was fantastic too because you know we would we would write these characters and we we kind of put a new spin on them and and we'll go through some of the the cool new spins we we took on some of the characters. But it was really the voice actors who ran with the characters and made them you know what they were and and who they became. And that was just one of the fantastic parts is you know bringing pulp to a new generation. Pulp is, is innately supposed to be escapist, and and you have to have a character that you relate to to escape into. So you know having so many 
different people from so many different backgrounds and world experiences coming in and making a character to you know sort of escape into this narrative for it it meant that there was always going to be an option for someone to experience and to relate with something within you know the the podcast itself so you know for example some of our um you know kind of well, uh, our, our newer characters and, and sort of how the new takes that we took on them within our heartfelt parody was, you know, um, different from the canon, Law is not um, romantically interested in Tarzan, but she has a scholastic rivalry with jo- uh, with Jane and, and, you know, talking about that and everything there. And, uh, you know, she's, she's redemptive, which, of course, is true to the canon as well, too, but she's also very overly formal. She's not a very emotional character, very stoic. You know, where we have the klutzy yet scholastically adorable Jane. Yeah, and I just want to add, um, you know, when Max said that their rivalry is more scholastic, I just want to clarify that a little bit. So we see that in the original canon, right? The core conflict between Jane and Lot is centered around Tarzan. It's centered around this love for Tarzan, whether it's lustful or romantic or real, however you want to frame it, it's love for Tarzan that is their conflict. When Max says that now Law's conflict with Jane is scholastic, what she means is, apart from her feelings from Tarzan, here you have an outsider, right? Jane is the outsider who shows up to your home (laughs) after reading maybe one manual, right? She thinks she knows the blueprint of this house. And she is now saying, no, 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 right? You shouldn't put the salt shaker here because it makes it harder for you to cook. But she was never the one cooking. Exactly. And so very similarly, Jane goes into Law's hometown, goes into Law's country, nation, however you want to put it. Mm-hmm. And because of her intellectual knowledge that she gained, first of all, secondhand, mm-hmm. she thinks that she knows how to run her country better than Law. Now that being the center conflict, I think to a large extent, um, is is what Mac means by like that scholastic conflict, right? Like it's not about knowledge; it's about this breaching, this violation of like your agency, of your territory. Mm-hmm. And I think that at its core is very, very relatable to um, to like every audience, right? In fact, I think it might be even more relatable to a modern audience who, quite frankly, does not care about like fluffy love the same way that perhaps we would conceptualize. I suppose women is what we're talking about in the past. What now? Whether or not women in the past really did care about fluffy love that much is still up for debate. But at the very least, now we know that you know it's not so much something that consumes girls nowadays. And so, when Max says like, "Oh, we take the same characters, but we recontextualize them in a way that maintains their center personalities," like every fundamental thing about Law is maintained. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just how she's interpreted has been shifted mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't contradict the original interpretation either. So I think what Mac is um, especially like concerned about when she created Tarzan was this addition of another interpretation to make it more relatable to even more people. To just to j- bring it to a younger generation right. and, and cater it to how a younger generation views and reads narratives. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have put it better. You know, and, and taking new takes, you know, like we, we have our wonderful villains that are, you know, kind of classic. Like we dive into Nicholas Rokoff and, and Alexis Polovich. We have kind of a manic pixie dream girl gone, you know, completely <laughs> and utterly mad with Nemini. Um, and, and one of my favorites in particular that I worked really heavily with was, you know, turning Hazel Strong, uh, Jane's best friend, into kind of a character in her own right, which originally that had kind of started, we were like, you can't have a name Hazel Strong and not be like completely badass, you know, (laughs) like we got to do something with that. And so, you know, instead of Hazel just kind of, you know, existing as as a best friend to Jane, she's someone who's like, "Eh, I'll participate in this narrative if I feel like it. I'm going to go off and have another adventure somewhere else. And 
I, a, a little bit of a, we haven't officially announced this, so one of the fun announcements we saved for Pulp Fest here is, <laughs> there we go, <laughs> hot off the press. Um, after the series is complete, we will have a one-hour Hazel Strong special as well, too, that dives into Hazel's background and where she's coming from and why she is potentially a secret agent working with someone very mysteriously by the name of Sparrowhawk who knows the way to the center of the earth. So there's code names, there's noir, you know, we get a little bit of a touch of some drama in there as well too. Um, so needless to say, that is going to be really fantastic. And, um, you know, I think, I think just even to kind of sum up what we've been talking about before we jump into some, some further discussions, you know, we've had the opportunity to get students on Duke's campus talking about, you know, characters from the original Tarzan novels. We've got, gotten them into, you know, books, and, and you can talk to someone about, like, Tarzan and the Lion Man, or, or you know, I remember, Teddy, you coming up to me and being like, why did we skip Tarzan and the Ant Man? <laughs> like, <laughs> she just came to me, like, holding a book in the library, like, we, we can't fit this in. I'm like, we need an even number of episodes to split between two seasons. I mean, it was just such a, such a weird and interesting story. I'm like, why, why you didn't include it? <laughs> Valid. And, hey, you know, maybe we'll need to add it in there sometime. Um, but, you know, it, it kind of got us thinking, like, you know, we got people talking about these books. We got a, a part of our younger generation, a part of our community involved. How can we spread the word about pulp to a younger generation? And while we're going to talk a little bit up here, too, uh, we're eventually going to open up for a couple of questions, but we're also going to have a couple of questions for you. And, and later this evening and going forward, we want to make sure that, you know, us as a younger generation is having conversations and hearing the perspectives and getting to hear your points of view about what you would like to see passed on to a younger generation so that we can make sure that Pulp's legacy survives through the decades. But I think before we get to that, um, you know, we just wanted to, I, I wanted to go down the line even and just sure. hear what Victoria and Teddy also have to say about, you know, how do we bring the word about Pulp to a younger generation? How's yeah. the right way to do that? So I think that you know, pulp has always been made for the people, right? It, it, was, it was never supposed to be highbrow. Highbrow has always been very exclusive, very elitist, very closed doors, if you will. Pulp was meant to be very open doors. Now, unfortunately, in a society that was so weighted down by beliefs that excluded women, um, excluded people of color, excluded just like all of these different groups, pulp ended up being mainly for the white male population. Now, that's not an inherently bad thing for the time. The reason why we think that bringing pulp to a wider audience could be helpful is because we want more people to connect to pulp so that pulp can have a larger reach and therefore expand its legacy. Mm -hmm. Now, I think how to do that would be in order to, to give people that sort of escapism that attracted the initial audience base, right? So I noticed that in Pulp Fiction, and it's not exclusive to Pulp Fiction, you see it a lot in movies and other media and other forms of entertainment, you see these like traditional marginalized communities, right? They're always characters that have actions being done to them, right? They're objectified in that sense. So for example, in John Carter, you have uh, Deja Thoris, right? She's saved by John Carter even though she managed to survive for some time on her own. So it's not that she's completely useless. So, like, she must have helped John in some way, big or small, right? And yet she's pitted in a way where something is done to her. I think the way that we really want to bring it to a new and wider audience is by having characters not just switched off, right? We don't want a face switch. Nobody cares about a face swap. We want the narrative, the story itself to change so that these characters, right? For example, we want women, 
people of color, not to have things done to them, but have things done with them, right? To, to have John and Deja basically be saved while working together. Um, to basically have this narrative about actions that they do together, right? It, it's it's mm -hmm. turning them from an object into an actor. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I think one, just even in the canon, one plot point that is so rich uh, in potential for that is when she is trapped in that prison, um, basically attached to like the Temple of the Sun with like the two other women, right? Because here you have an environment where it's just those three women. Now, um, for, you know, I'm not sure how, I suppose, up-to-date in pop culture you guys might be with Netflix shows, but a few years back, there was a really, really popular show called Orange is the New Black. It's about this 20-some woman who basically gets arrested for a crime that she unknowingly did like a decade ago, and she is this like prim and proper, suburban, white, sheltered young woman, and she is thrown into like a high-intensity prison, and this is based on a true story. And that show was a hit. Right, to see that transition of like this sheltered girl turn into this, I suppose, seasoned girl who can actually go ahead and you know survive in such a in such a cruel and such a tough environment. Right, we see that that storyline is also in the character of Deja Thoris, and so I think what we need to realize is all the connections between these like pulp tropes and pulp storylines and existing plot points that people nowadays go crazy for. Mm -hmm. And once you notice those connections, it's really easy to bring those parts back mm -hmm. so that um, your consumers, right, like your watchers are now able to enjoy that sort of narrative in the genre of pulp. Definitely. And I, we're, we're firm believers of the fact that, that deepening those different characters' experiences, just making their backstories and, you know, their complexities and their characters even richer, that that just, that makes the universe, you know, that you're operating within, you know, that, that kind of fictional universe just all the more deeper, all the more real. It brings an element of realism so that that escapism is just even more potent, right? That you yeah. can feel like you're actually existing in this universe with diverse and, and you know, depth-filled characters. Exactly. Like, uh, the big sort of issue we had with, uh, you know, like, taking these things that, like, people of a much older generation love and, like, trying to, I guess, modernize it is that there's a lot of this fear of, like, oh, we're making it, like, too politically correct or, like, we're sort of, like, taking this one thing and turning it into a completely different thing. We have a lot of respect for the original works. It's just that, like, sometimes when you're reading it, there's, like, this, these little things that just wouldn't really fly nowadays uh but like also it's just it's not just a matter of like erasing these things that are like part of the canon it's also just like taking them and like you said making them more interesting developing these characters beyond oh who is this person oh she's like a love interest of tarzan who like makes this whole like love triangle like no we're like taking taking this character and expanding upon her and like mm -hmm. making her like like interesting like interesting beyond like how she relates to the main character like that she's able to like stand alone as a character that can be like examined and like understood and related to certainly certainly and and that way we can still have so many of the fundamental plot points you know that we can exist and have this action and this you know storyline that that we know and we love and that people have loved for generation after generation but with new you know aspects to it and new you know sort of added details and, and also I feel like with like modernizing it it's just one 
again, I'm not as deep into this as y'all are, but uh, one thing that sort of like caught me about this is that the book seemed a lot more like episodic. Like it's just like the, the stories feel like more contained. Mm-hmm. And as far as like turning this into like a, a making this more modern that involved making it more serialized, we're doing like a podcast just like one episode after the other, like uh, so we have like that cohesive narrative. So like, finding like, ways to link the stories together. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like try to tie in this like overarching narrative, which uh, I mean, with like the introduction of Verper as like the main villain, it's like whenever I think of Tarzan, like I, I can't really like original Tarzan. I can't really think of a main villain typically. I mean, maybe Clayton, but that's just from my experience of like watching the uh, the Clayton was in the Disney movie, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's the only one I know, and so like taking this character and putting him like front and center that like most people don't know who it is like whenever i look up like like verper as a character i just get the the barton verper books mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's just like i said he's this character who like only really exists in like one book and dies off screen and that's really it and then you took him and made him into this <laughs> force to be reckoned with and I've had multiple moments where I'm acting out this character and I would, like, leave the booth just shaking. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's like, oh, God, I, I said all that? <laughs> I, uh, but, yeah, it's... Yeah. They're just... You, you've done a lot of great work. <laughs> you, you, Daniel Brock, uh, everybody, everybody working on uh, Tarzan, just phenomenal phenomenal stuff well we're, we're so excited to bring it to you and we're so excited to hear from you and and to get feedback as well i mean this is this is trial and error process right you know we're learning how to do this just as, as the whole pulp community is learning how to keep pulp surviving going forward and, and we want this to be a discussion we, we don't want to be telling people you know this is absolutely half, how we have to do it you know we're learning too we're trying to figure out the best way moving forward so I think, you know, with that in mind, I'm, I'm going to have Victoria talk a little bit about, I know we're running short on time here, um, we're going to have Victoria just talk for like, you know, a super quick bit about some more of the future of FSP, and then we're going to open for just a couple of quick questions, and, and, and we'd love to, of course, hear, um, hear from you guys a little bit. So. Yeah, I mean, so generally, I think all the major things I wanted to say I've said, so I mean, I'm really curious to actually hear from you guys now. Okay. And so if you guys have any questions or any thoughts we're yeah, totally open to reception awesome let's see uh, can we take matt back here uh, I mean, you're, when we're doing the research for, for this when you were deciding on what you're going to do did everybody sort of find a favorite character or, or a favorite you know book or, or you know uh, Certainly, certainly. I know we, we've talked about her a lot up here, but I feel like the campus favorite was Law, eh, to say the least. I think everybody loved Law of Opar and the Opar plotline. Personally, my bias is Jane. I've always loved Jane. Uh, I've loved Jane in the original canon as well, too. So it was, I, I'm a Midwesterner as well, too. So you'll, you'll see if you listen to us that we poke fun at the fact that Jane is technically from Wisconsin. And so she has a very annoying Wisconsin accent. And that <laughs> makes for a lot of comedy. And it's pretty fun. But how about, how about you, Teddy? I mean, I'm obviously biased, too. <laughs> I can't stop talking about Harper. Uh, it's just like, he was just a very fun character to play. I, I love a good villain. And also, I mean, one thing that like sort of stuck with the character, even though it was a mistake, is like, I remember reading that Verper was Belgian. And for some reason in my head, I thought that was like more like German when really it's more like French. So I just go in like doing this like sort of, uh, you know, just like this evil like German guy, like, <laughs> and it, it just sort of stuck and like I, I'm not sure if this was like intentionally written in or like already exists in the story but like Verper like pretended to be like a German general mm-hmm. at one point 
And it's like, okay, yeah, it's like we're, we're taking this and we're rolling with it. <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, he was just a very fun character and mm-hmm. just listening back and like, like through the episodes where like he was introduced and like hearing uh, me like get the voice down pat and get his sort of like presence down mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. it's just been really fun. Definitely. Victoria, any takes or, or any characters you'd love to, to dive into in the future with FSP too? I mean, so I think personally, my personal favorite is from Miss Harden is, like you said, Law. Mm-hmm. I think I see a lot of myself in her. I don't, I, I don't know. Take, take that as you will. <laughs> I, I don't know how that's going to be received. But um, I think in the future, this, this, and this is my personal opinion only, not to be affiliated with ERB. Um, but <laughs> I would really love to see FSP really just continue like the series of um taking pulp fiction and you know like you said earlier just freshly squeezing it you know <laughs> um and i'm really interested in the character of Jada Thoris because i just think that there's so much left to be said you know she i think fundamentally if you really think about her storyline she has to be a very strong figure mm-hmm. there's no way she's thinking it through all of that if she's not a strong figure and i think it's a disservice to her to be framed as someone who's just saved when in reality you know if um, John Carter went along and helped invade, like, one of her enemy city-states, like, she must have informed him about some things, right? He's, like, this newbie. So she must have informed him on some of the politics. Uh, so I think that can make for, like, a really cool, almost, like, Game of Thrones-esque um, vibe. And I think people would go crazy for it. I love it. Oh, there is. <laughs> Sir, Ed, let's, yeah, let's take one more question. Um, I'm a little curious about your uh, academic background. Sure thing. So for me, as crazy as it sounds, I'm a bit of a math geek, so I'm actually a math PhD student myself, but I know a lot of uh, Pulp Fiction writers kind of got their start during grad school doing writing there, so um, my hope is to to be an author as well as to be an academic, Um, but how about you here, Victoria? Yeah, I'm a psychology major, and I'm taking two minors. I'm taking a minor in economics and a minor in cinematic arts, because personally, I'm really into, like, screenwriting. Um, it's one of those things where I really hope to make a part of my career in the future, but you know, I hope to do it in more of like a roundabout way. Um, I hope to also sort of work at the intersection of like screenwriting, education, as well as psychology research. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I hope to do. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, I graduated with a major in cultural anthropology, um, and I feel like I mean, that definitely applying it to these sort of like Pulp Fiction narratives, it definitely sort of like opened my eyes to like, oh, here's some things that are like not okay with like what's being presented. Here's how we can like fix that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, and I feel like that definitely helps in making the narrative like much more inclusive and like representing these, like these different cultures and different like peoples and like mm-hmm. with much more justice to their identities. Certainly, certainly. Well, and, and these are these are all great questions. We certainly implore you to come uh, talk with us as well too. Yep. One question we have for you, whether or not we'll be able to, you know, m- maybe this can just stay on everybody's minds, come up and tell us, or we yeah. can probably take a couple of quick answers here too. Uh, we would love to know what aspects of pulp do you love the most and, and what works in pulp would you love to see pass on to a younger generation? Let's maybe take a couple quick ones and then we certainly would love you guys to come talk to us sometime yeah. when you have some time. Like what aspects do you guys really, really want to see? Like what stories down? and characters too? Yep. Heinlein. Heinlein is great. There we go. Which Heinlein book are you thinking? Totally, totally. I love it. What else? You do have to do 
something that could be halted by even just like a small story, right? I think if someone can capture, and I, I'm, I'm very personally a fan of, uh, I feel like being, being an ERB nut, you know, I, I am someone who, who has read, you know, many of the original books and, and, and do very much love them. You know, taking a look at a lot of the new works that are being done by Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated, you know, loving them and seeing you know, ERB style being replicated, seeing that, you know, fiction and that pacing, you know, uh, and seeing kind of still that element of campiness in there as well, too. There's still that good humor. And, and I think it's nice because we're seeing it preserved and we're seeing people who are coming in and who are studying it and finding ways to bring that. But then at the same time, opening that and, you know, sort of finding ways that new people can kind of come into the, you know, canon and can come into the group as well, too. Yeah, I want to just add, like, I think my entire attitude on this is I don't see why not and I think that's the whole point of FSP it's we're taking pulp and we're taking everything that it has and we're asking like I don't see why not right if you want a character who's powerful I don't see why not if you want a character who's expanded I don't see why not if you have a character who's never ever been written about or like a character who has an identity who's never ever been shown in mainstream <laughs> media before I don't see why not like I don't see why they can't be shown just like yeah. any other character so yeah I mean so it, when it comes to breakneck pacing of the plot I don't see why not it, it makes me sad that uh, that other women my age don't know that Jane Porter is a per you know is a character or that Deja Thoris is a character and and you wanting to bring these bring light to these new narratives and shed light on these characters you know 
or just uh, we, we're hoping that it would bring about just so many new works than, and can continue on uh, Pulp Fiction just being such a foundational you know literary group to influence popular culture for hopefully millennia to come mm -hmm. so yeah <laughs> but yes well, please come up and talk to us whenever you, you get the chance we want to hear from you yeah. we'll be here all night so there we go <laughs> You've been listening to a Pulp Event podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp magazines for over 25 years. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Also, look for the PulpNet on Facebook and on Twitter. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the Pulps. The Pulp Event podcast is copyright 2021.